This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today, it is February the 14th, Valentine's Day. We had a CPI print yesterday, ran a bit hotter than expected, and we saw quite the move in the markets. Dow was down several hundred points, um, and, and people are still just trying to digest it. So, so Tim, let's get into what this most recent CPI print said. Uh, you know, numbers were obviously lower, but very elevated, and people reacted. Right, right. They came in above expectations. They came in above expectations on the core. They came in above expectations on the headline. And what I think threw people is the fact that it wasn't just uh, the rent, the C the OER, the shelter component of it. Um, but if you looked at the component that the Fed likes to look at, and everybody loves to scream about CPI and that the Fed only cares about PCE, they're looking at the CPI data as well. Uh, and what, what Powell has said that he looks at is that super core non-housing component. And that piece was white hot. And I think that explains some of the market reaction. The other thing is, look, you still have used cars uh, being a drag, uh, but you had a lot of things that are sort of very intuitive uh, that were much higher. Hospital costs, that stands, right? That, that's intuitive to people. Medical costs overall, which have been really lagging. Uh, came in hot. The other thing is insurance. Like we all read the stories about auto insurance rates moving up and providers moving out of states. You really saw that manifest in the numbers. Housing insurance, right? You live in California, you live in Florida, you live in several parts of the company, you have a country, you have fewer providers, rates are going up. That really came out in the data. Food away from home came out. So you had this really hot CPI for reasons that at least to the man on the street should be kind of intuitive, right? You ask the average guy, does that make sense? I think they would say, oh yeah, my medical costs, food away from home, uh, my insurance, absolutely that, that, that makes sense to me. Um, the other thing is you're seeing a flattening out of various measures of inflation uh, at a time when energy is still a drag. Energy is now starting to move up a little bit. Corn, in terms of food prices, is an incredibly important input. That has moved down with oil, as, as it usually does. My point is that you saw the move that you saw. You saw that big move in the 10-year yesterday because, because there wasn't the obvious, oh, this is just OER, and that's going to uh, migrate to uh, whatever the current rental trends are, which is by itself is a mistaken hypothesis. But you, you now see a fear that this CPI is no longer falling. And that's why March is completely priced out. Even May is starting to get priced out. You know, our argument all year was one of our 10 surprises is that the Fed is going to be closer to right pricing in in their, in their, um, in their dot plot uh, or the summary of economic projections that there's only going to be three cuts while the street was at seven. Well, now I'm starting to think that even three uh, might be aggressive, right? If, if May starts to get priced out, and look, if we don't have a recession, if we keep moving along the way we are, if consumer demand stays the way it stays, I think three or even less is definitely going to be right. 
you know, <clears throat> we saw mortgages react almost immediately, right? So yeah. yesterday when the news hit, the net effect was that the average 30-year fixed rate moved well to the sevens from the high sixes almost immediately. Yeah. So it's going to be just another driver for afford, you know, home, home and affordability as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's an important point, right? It's not really the Fed funds rate that anybody borrows off of. People who buy houses, who buy cars and uh, corporate debt is, is much more uh, sensitive to where the 10-year is. Uh, so that big move in the 10-year does have sometimes the market tail, you know, wags the economic dog, uh, the dog of the economy. Uh, and when you have the 10-year move like it does, that has an effect on mortgage rates. Now, it doesn't seem like six and a half to seven doesn't seem to make the difference. When we got up to eight, that certainly seemed to make a difference. And then we dropped right back to six and a half. So we'll see. I'm not sure it's going to have a huge effect. You know, you do have better availability of existing housing, a little bit better than you had in the past two years. So uh, hopefully that will um, at least keep transactions going. I'm speaking my own book with a wife as a realtor here, of course. You know, um, and part of this is just this makes debt servicing a lot more difficult, right? I mean, Art Laffer came out the other day and warned about a decade of debt. Um, you know, global borrowings hit a record of $307.4 trillion in September. We've seen that both high income as well as emerging markets have seen their debt grow by $100 trillion from a decade ago, uh, fueled large and parcel by a high interest rate environment. So... This is just going to be an issue that compounds on it on itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I wrote a whole piece about a long white paper about debt and populism. Right. Usually, humanity, when they see a crisis coming, they have time, they react to it, they change something. When I talk about populism, I'm talking about the fact that we now have uh, a Congress uh, that really is incapable of legislating and therefore really incapable of any kind of financial stewardship. Um, and it's not gonna be a problem until it becomes a really big problem. Now in the second quarter, we'll have quite a bit more duration that has to be financed. And we'll see how much supply matters uh, more in the second quarter. Um, but as of now, the fiscal impulse, all of the fiscal spending that we're doing, the $2 trillion of deficits, that's stimulative. That is driving the economy. So what can be a very good thing in the short term can be, two things can be true. It can be great for now, but it is really meaningful risk in the out years because we don't really have the governmental mechanism to fix it anymore. You know, with, with that, all of that in a backdrop, were you surprised by the U.S. budget falling in January? Those numbers came out, $22 billion. I mean... There's less tax refunds. Seems like a lot more receipts came in, but you know that seems like kind of a jolted the trend, right? Yeah, I mean it, it, it's going to be it's going to be determined by the fact that you had uh, another strong economy, that you had strong markets, and therefore you have capital gains. But those things tend to level out. What matters is the longer term trajectory, and the long term trajectory. While I don't often agree with Art Laffer, is super concerning. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I mean, he's not the only one. Um, sure. No, saying it. And, right. but, you the know, CEO I mean, it, is talking about it, right? right I mean, the yeah, IMF yeah. is talking about it, right? I mean, it, 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 it's not a novel uh, 
issue to discuss that we are on an unsustainable debt uh, path. No, I don't think this is one of his cop cocktail napkin tricks where he, you know, just draws <laughs> something and puts it up. But um, yeah, we, we mentioned oil a little bit. Uh, let's let's talk about kind of the whole energy markets from a production standpoint. Um, you know, there, there's a no, lot I of things. This is, yeah, I think this is one of the most under discussed issues, right? I mean, everybody's very excited as well. They should be about how productive the shale has been. And how despite that we all know the decline rates are higher in the shale, production is really held up. Now, we've seen this raft of deals, uh, right, where big public companies in the shale are buying big private companies in the shale. And the argument has been, well, the private companies have been overproducing in order to drive uh, a higher purchase price. They're going to get paid a multiple of their production. They can increase the production and drive the total number that they get. Um, the question is, though, is with that production, with these much longer horizontals, are decline rates falling faster? Uh, and I, I don't know the answer to that. But the, the person who is uh, really concerned about inflation and concerned about higher oil prices should be very concerned about the potential that the decline rates in the shale are actually accelerating uh, and are the other side of the production uh, upside surprise that we've gotten. Uh, and, you know, my long-term view is that the global emerging middle class, human beings who don't consume oil versus Americans who consume a lot, as they make their way into the global middle class and start eating meat from outside of their village, using air conditioning, having a scooter, etc., they are going to uh, keep driving uh, that peak oil consumption number further and further out as a matter of fact, there was an OPEC minister uh, on the tape, either it was this week or last week, talking about how wrong kind of Western projections of peak oil have been and that their projections are that peak oil consumption is still many, many years out. Yeah, I mean, and the Occidental CEO was just discussing the other day, right, that 97% of oil has been discovered in the last century. And over the past decade, only 50% of what's been use has been, you know, has been replaced. So uh, it seems that there's a huge issue when it comes to finding new sites to drill um, and prospecting on yeah. all the rest of it. Yeah. And, 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 and the most exciting play in the world now is Guyana. Uh, but, you know, you look at what's happening in, in Guyana, in Maduro, who's wildly unpopular. You know, what, what, what do dictators do when they're wildly unpopular? They try to change the narrative. They maybe try to create a little bit of nationalism. So he pulls out the Putin trick of saying, hey, historically, you know, the Venezuelans, we've had claim uh, on uh, some of those territories in offshore Guyana and in, in that area of Guyana. Uh, you don't know what he's going to do, but right now what he's doing is amassing troops uh, in that area. And that, that should be scary to everybody. Right. And, and that's not, so I mean, South America as a continent is not known for, you know, Right. Wars with each other. There's certainly been, you know, within within the country, sectarian conflicts and everything. But this is uh, very, very unique in the sense that countries are saber rattling their neighbors. Um, happens very seldomly. Yeah. Um, anything uh, we, you know, might have missed out on, Tim, that we should cover today? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I do hope that people will take a look at the essay that I wrote this week. 
it's it's called Einhorn's Epiphany, and it really talks about the flow of money into passive instruments and how passive instruments. Einhorn uses the term as broken markets. I don't think I would take it quite that far, but it does have real implications for how markets trade, how efficiencies might take much longer uh, to transpire, and how, you know, the fact is, is that there is a risk longer term uh, that this, that markets really are driven by retail sentiment. And as the phrase that I use is that the risk is that the wisdom of crowds is sort of usurped uh, by the madness of uh, the, I'm sorry, the wisdom of markets is usurped by the, mag, by the madness of crowds. Uh, and right now it means more momentum and you got to respect the tape. And that's the lesson of Einhorn. But it, it's not a one-way street, right? These things can uh, can can change directions, and when they do, people need to be prepared. Yeah, I mean, we're in an interesting situation, right? Where the IWM is trading at a discount to the S and P, and not the other way around. Uh, so, uh, you know, yep. larger, well-established blue chips are <clears throat> trading at much higher multiples than, than than potential growth stocks, which is just now. Which now, is the- I I do acknowledge the fact that the fundamentals have diverged as well, right? IWM does have meaningfully negative earnings revisions when you, versus when you look at large cap growth and or if you look at the MAG7, you take out Apple and you take out Tesla, the other five names are printing money uh, and they are growing in a meaningful way year over year. So it's not just, I, I think people have to understand, it is not just market structure that has changed, but it is also the fact that a lot of these companies have essentially become legal monopolies. Amazon Prime, Google Search, the Apple iPhone, right? These are dominant, dominant monopolistic products that um, and they're just, they're just not going away. So I'm not saying that you turn around and short the Mag 7. All I'm saying is that over time, there will be uh, a, uh, a mean reversion. I think it just takes longer because of the passive dominated market structure. For sure. All right. Well, thanks for your time today, Tim. And for all our uh, listeners and subscribers, thanks as well. And we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.